Hi guys, this is Jake Parker. Welcome back to another episode of the Beyond Fit podcast, where it's my job to help you apply knowledge that is both scientific and practical into your own life to maximize your physique development and your overall body, as well as your mind. The combination of these two things is what makes you Beyond Fit. All right, guys, so the podcast you're about to hear, I recorded with my new friend, Alex Salkin. He is someone who was introduced to me from Pat Flynn, who you recently heard on the Beyond Fit podcast. Pat told me there was another online fitness entrepreneur in Omaha that I should meet, and so I was happy to reach out to him because I've not met really anyone else that is doing the same sort of thing as far as online fitness entrepreneurship. Um, around town, around Omaha, where I live. So it was really fun to get to do this podcast in person with Alex after we first met for coffee to kind of get to know each other a little bit better. Um, He's a really great guy, really knowledgeable, and is going to bring you guys some new value on the podcast because he specializes in kettlebells and calisthenics. And that's not something I've talked a lot about because it's not something I know a ton about, but because I'm so open and curious, I got a lot of great information out of him. For those of you that may be working out at home, or like me and Alex talked about, for those of you who just want to implement more of these type of techniques to progress better in your day-to-day training, even if you are an intermediate or advanced lifter. So enjoy this episode, and let me know if there's any more questions you have for Alex or I. Hi guys, welcome back to the Beyond Fit Podcast. This is your host, Jake Parker. Today, my guest is Alex Salkin. He's someone who is doing one of the first in-person podcasts that I've done in, oh, probably six months to a year now. Um, Most of them are just taking place over Zoom. So that's uh, an exciting, kind of fun, different dynamic we have here. Uh, Alex and I met for the first time a week or two ago through the mutual connection, Pat Flynn, who you recently heard on the podcast. Alex is an expert and specializes in calisthenics and kettlebell training. So that will be the bulk of our conversation today. Um, but I'm sure we'll get into some other stuff as well. So Alex, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, talk a little bit about what you feel is most uh, relevant to the whole calisthenics and kettlebell world to you and sort of how you got started with it. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, it's a little ironic to think, you know, that, that I'm, uh, I'm your guest, given that you're actually a guest at my place. So it's like we're doing the... That's true. Yeah. We're doing the tandem guest thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, shall we start off maybe with a little bit of history? Yeah, okay. yeah. Just, right. uh, yeah, just kind of how, what, how as it relates to what you're doing now. You got it. Well, I'll give you the, a little bit of the origin story. The full origin story would take maybe a little bit longer, so I'll give you the, the Cliff Notes version. So, uh, in 2008, I, well, I'll go a little bit further back. In 2007, I first heard about this weird implement called the kettlebell, and it was in a book uh, purporting to be about Bruce Lee's method of training. It's called The Art of Expressing the Human Body. I still have the book. Uh, it's on my bookshelf, in fact. And it's only one oblique reference in like page 74, oh, wow. something like that. It's just like, like here's another way that you can do like dumbbell rows. You put what they called like, uh, do what they called kettlebell rows, but they were describing a piece of equipment that uh, Milo Magazine used to sell and other, other like strength specialty organizations would sell. Um, at any rate, it sounded intriguing, but there was no picture. So I had no clue what it looked like. It just sounded cool. And about a year later, a friend of mine in university, we would always sit in front of the, the Spanish class before our, our Spanish lessons. And uh, he had just gotten into kettlebell training. And can I swear on your podcast? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't Fuck swear about yeah. you. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> and, but he was always telling me about this badass guy named Pablo mm-hmm. and these badass things called kettlebells and how they made you super strong and athletic and help you crush weakness. And I was like, that, that sounds very intriguing. And I have heard of these kettlebell things before. So I know that what he's talking about is legit. Um, and uh, a couple months later, this had to have been late March or early April, 2008. I got a call from this friend of mine, Drew Christensen. And he's like, hey, do you want to come over to my place and try a kettlebell workout? And I don't know why, but I said yes. And I say that re- the reason I say I don't know why is because at that time I was mostly, I was doing Muay Thai and I, I was really interested in martial arts. I was doing like a little bit of bodybuilding style weight training. Mm-hmm. And it was like six different exercises for the biceps, mm-hmm. 
eight for the triceps, some ab stuff, nothing for the legs, you know. Of course. Of course. Yeah, that's that's what you do when you're a martial mm-hmm. artist. That's how you gotta, we all, yeah. Exactly. That's, you know, how, that's how everybody starts out, I feel like, too, in their weightlifting. Exactly. They, they want to look good in the mirror. Unless mm-hmm. they have a full-length mirror, you know, they're not, they don't care about how their legs look. So um, I was like, yeah, okay, let's try it out. And I don't remember a lot of the details of, of what we did in the workout. I remember we did some some snatches. He showed me swings, Turkish getup, military press. But I was uh, I was amazed because you know what it felt like. This is what strength training should feel like. Mm-hmm. It, it should feel like your entire body is doing something. It should feel dynamic. And I think you know probably subconsciously I could see the the connection between martial arts training and, and kettlebell training. And then he did like the coolest thing any friend could have possibly done. He loaned me a kettlebell, twenty five pounds or twelve kilos, depending on um, if you're listening to this in Europe. Uh, and he loaned me a copy of two of of Pavel's books. Okay. Uh, Enter the Kettlebell, which is Pavel's like seminal work, and The Naked Warrior. And how is, early did his, so this, was it one of his first or one of just the most popular Pavel's? Uh, most popular because Pavel, his first, so for the people who don't know, Pavel is, Pavel is to kettlebell training what Albert Einstein is to physics. Maybe we could put it out. Yeah. Right. I'm just, I'm just mostly curious about like putting together the timeline. If you say about 2007 is when you discovered kettlebells. Yeah. Well, when, I would when... say 2008 properly because 2007, I heard the word. Mm-hmm. 2008, I actually started training. With so them. when did Pobble first come out with any of these books? Like, was this something that's been around in the seventies, eighties or clo- or just like, okay. I mean, obviously around to some extent, but. Sure. Okay. Well, you have no clue to what extent because the, uh, the history of the kettlebell in America actually goes back a lot farther than okay than uh, the early 2000s. Uh, but as far as Pavel is concerned, so he moved, he was a, a Spetsnaz training okay. instructor. Spetsnaz is, uh, this was the Soviet special forces. Mm-hmm. He was a drill instructor for these people. So he was a, he was a tough dude. His dad was, uh, was an, uh, an officer in the Red Army. And um, they, now his whole family now lives in the US, but, uh, but at the time, Pavel was, I think in his mid twenties, it was in the late nineties, he moved to uh to the u.s and he was teaching a class at this is by the way this is like some really like in-depth stuff most people don't know Mm -hmm. i happen to be a geek about this stuff and i've i've been involved with pavel's system for so long i've just i've picked up enough of it to be able to to recreate it so um but he was teaching a class on flexibility at the learning annex in minneapolis minnesota and there happened to be there a publisher who was really intrigued because what pavel was teaching was stuff that was like very well known on the other side of the Iron Curtain, but it was not well known in America. And uh, I mean, stuff like, stuff that's actually now pretty well known, but at the time was like unheard of. So like um, what's called uh, like PNF stretching, like proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation and a uh, variety of other Do you have things. an example of what that would be? I don't so know. yeah, let me give you an example. Um, let's say you want to stretch out your hip flexors. So you get into a lunge position and you know, you're gonna have your legs, parallel to one mm-hmm. another so they're not splayed out or whatever and you're going to squeeze your glutes as mm-hmm. though you're trying to crack a walnut let's say and what you're going to do and now that activates that the reason behind doing that is if you're trying to stretch your hip flexor so the its antagonist is going to be the glute mm-hmm. right so if the hip flexor is tight you want to you want to tighten the glute because due to the law of reciprocal inhibition, what that will do is that will then open up the opposite muscle, right? Yeah. That doesn't seem to be near as relevant as people just like, you know, getting at like an actual stretch of the, of the hip flexor versus I never have thought about it much in the context of flexing that anterior muscle. Right. So, and then what you do from there is, and I'm, I'm giving just a very brief overview. Mm -hmm. He has an excellent book on the topic called relax and to stretch is that you tense everything up and then you relax. So what you're doing is essentially you're teaching, your nervous system that it is okay for those muscle fibers to slide out a little farther because as he describes in this book uh his first books were not about uh strength training in fact they were about flexibility and mobility and then he wrote he started writing about strength training okay. right um but he he points out that your nervous system picks its favorite length for every muscle mm-hmm. so and it does that based on your activity level based on injuries any other number of things so he basically taught people how they could bypass a lot of the static stretching that wasn't really getting them anywhere and actually get some real lasting results. So this publisher asked him, uh, do you have a publisher? He said, no. He said, do you want a publisher? Yes. Do you want Dragondor to be your publishing, uh, to be your publisher? He said, let's do it. 
So that was the name of his original publisher. Uh, and they're, they're still around. They're, they're no longer uh, uh, working together, but mm-hmm. uh, Dragon Door is still around. And um, so at any rate, he started writing these books. He wrote a book, I think in 99, okay. called uh, Power to the People. And it was all about using two barbell exercises to get very, very strong, using uh, a, a couple of principles that have come, become kind of like standards mm-hmm. for him. And one of the things is that you don't lift super heavy, but you lift very frequently. So you're okay. really getting your nervous system very, very good. Yeah. So like what were the exercises? So the exercises were uh, deadlift and the side press. The now, side press. side press would be, uh, you would take like a barbell like this and you kind of lean away oh, and okay. press it overhead. So right? kind of like, uh, it's almost like, it reminds me of like strongman in a, a little bit. Yeah. So um, it's exactly, and it's not quite like the bent press mm-hmm. where you would see that a lot more. And maybe not in strongman, but you would see like old school strongman doing mm-hmm. it. But now he's amended it to bench press in the deadlift. Okay. Cause he's like, you know, you got one thing for the upper body, one for the lower body. Right. And, uh, and he says, you know, the bench press uh, covers a lot more muscle mm-hmm. whereas the side press doesn't really hit as much. Uh, but then the idea is that uh, as it gets easier, you just add a little bit of weight and then you just kind of keep creeping up. And at the time, now this isn't something he invented, but at the time in America, it was like revolutionary. Uh, in fact, Clarence Bass, was it was a uh if you're not familiar who this guy is he's like in his 80s and he still does like a photo shoot every year okay. he, he looks it like rings he's a in, bell but i can't he's say. in phenomenal shape he was like a, a bodybuilding competitor back in the day won a bunch of awards so i i was getting into what pavel was writing and it was very you know uh, ahead of its time now we kind of accept it as being like you know just something that you would yeah it's like yeah this is something that you would hear you know at, at any at any reputable strength gym, mm-hmm. like they know about it now. At the time, it was far less common. So kind of like saying basically how to progress and how to lift effectively and safely, more or less, yeah. is what I'm gleaning. Exactly. And uh, and how to treat strength as a skill. Mm. That's the most important thing, I think. Um, is treating strength as a skill and not something that happens just because you throw enough effort at it, mm-hmm. right? And uh, then eventually, he wrote... He did not want to write about kettlebells initially. Evidently, he didn't think Americans were going to like it. He said he was speaking to a friend of his, Marty Gallagher, who is, uh, if anybody here is listening has ever heard of uh, Ed Cohn mm-hmm. or uh, Kirk Karwaski, two of the legends powerlifting. Uh, he coached both of these men as well as, as well as many others over the course of his career. And Marty chided him and convinced him to write about kettlebells. So he wrote an article uh, for Milo, the strength magazine, and uh, it was called Vodka, Pickle Juice, Kettlebell Training, and Other Russian Pastimes. Very tongue-in-cheek, mm-hmm. but very intri- uh, intriguing article for a lot of people. And so then in the early 2000s, he wrote a book called uh, The Russian Kettlebell Challenge. And it was all about all the different mo- movements that you could do with a kettlebell, um, styles of training, things like that. And then he started a, a certification course. Okay. Based on and this, so, was, this was the time when like mu- uh, muscle magazines were everything, kind of as far as like almost like social media is for, for the, the game now. Exactly. Yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was pretty revolutionary. I mean, like a lot of people don't think about it, but near as I can tell, he was the guy who kind of threw the pebble in the middle of the pond and got the waves moving mm-hmm. outward uh, in the direction of strength and away from only, you know, the bodybuilding stuff that, mm-hmm. we, uh, that we're so familiar with. And so now it's something that's a lot more common. But at that time, he was, he was pretty much the impetus for it. As far as I know, there, I mean, I think there were other people who were talking about it, but, um, but the kind of following that he gained and like, uh, you know, he ended up being like a, a subject matter expert to the Marines, okay. U.S. Navy SEALs, because, uh, you know, he was a Spetsnaz mm-hmm. trainer, right? So, so this was the information I, this is like where I was getting started, more or less. Like, I, you know, I would get one of these muscle mags and I would do you know, the mm-hmm. bicep curls and the tricep extensions and yeah. all the different ab stuff and nothing for the legs. And uh, when I discovered this, after uh, after meeting up with my friend and doing these weird movements in his in his oil stained driveway, I was like, "This is what I need to do." Mm-hmm. So Pavel's most recent book at that time was uh, "Enter the Kettlebell," and like I said, he had another one called "The Naked Warrior," which is all about body weight strength training, mm-hmm. like like real strength, not just lots and lots of push ups and you know sit ups and stuff like that, but but building up to like one arm, one leg push ups, one leg squats, things like that, and then using the principles of strength to allow that to carry over into your other activities. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised you were sold so quickly. Like, it seems like if I had heard that at the time, me doing like the bodybuilder type workouts, but I guess it's stupid, you know? Yeah. 
I don't quite know why. I think because again, I look back and it's not like I wasn't expecting anything mm -hmm. to be revolutionary for me. But I think because it, it felt like it made sense without me having to be able to explain why it made sense, mm -hmm. uh, I was hooked. I was like completely sold on it. And yeah, it, it is strange because it, for most other people that I talk to, like they might see the value in being strong, but they don't necessarily see the value in strength training. They, I think there's a disconnect. Mm -hmm. Like they see strength training as like this shaky bridge to get them from where they are now to maybe being cool, mm -hmm. but also maybe, you know, falling yeah. off the edge and, mm -hmm. and getting really, really horribly hurt. Yeah. And so. the way that I approach training and the way that I would say pretty much all my clients approach training is we're doing this at the base level to become more aesthetic, to, to improve our body composition. But what I always share with people is I'm like, I would say at least 20 to 30% of the stuff we do is going to be really focused on strength and building strength and strength type exercises, because you just can't divorce the fact that, I mean, generally my clients are men that want to build muscle. And I'm like, you just can't divorce the fact that more strength equals more muscle. It's, 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 there's not many cases where your body is getting stronger, but not packing on more muscle. And, and I think that it's important if you want to build a physique and build a great body that you, you, you have to get strong in order to, I mean, one of the things that I do often is like go into these lower strength training, um, strength training rep ranges, where for me, it's kind of like lengthening my capacity for muscle growth in the more hypertrophy ranges and kind of mm -hmm. the same thing with endurance. It's like the more you train these different capacities, the more they work together. And so I think that I, I agree that, that the, the strength aspect of training is starting to become more and more, uh, commonly focused on which I think is good yeah yeah I think that um you know and I didn't pay a ton of attention at, at the young age at the time but it seems to me like um people who got into that kind of training or going to the gym and hitting all the different machines they're doing it because they thought that's just what you have to do mm -hmm. not because it really spoke to them you know and I look back and I can say it really didn't speak to me when I was doing all these different machine exercises and even dumbbell exercises and like I'm not knocking dumbbells because I think dumbbells are great, but there was, um, there was something about it that seemed like an obligation and I liked the, the results that I was getting. But once I started lifting kettlebells, I was like in love. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it felt like that was the missing piece. And uh, I mean, and sure enough, like within the first year of training, like my, my one arm military press went from like, you know, 35 pounds to like 70 pounds, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, and I was doing stuff like military presses because prior to that, like I had just no clue what you do with a kettlebell. Mm -hmm. I, the first thing I tried to do was like curl it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so I, I kind of started to get a new uh, appreciation for what, what it means to be strong and actually to be able to demonstrate it. And, uh, and that was really what would kick it all mm -hmm. off. Was, I, right? I love, I love the aspect of, of kettlebells that it really translates over to my probably second biggest focus in terms of like next to building body composition and building a great physique is like, I want to train for myself and for my clients to be healthy into old age, you know, like health span. And what is something that's great you can do for that is doing movements that actually are more going to represent like what you're doing in the real world. Yeah. So, you know, I love my bicep curls and tricep extensions, but I'm not, that's not ever going to help me when I'm 60 or 70 years old or something like a kettlebell and just having the ability to move weight in a technical way that makes your body adjust to different angles and such is, is really important for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I would add on to that too, particularly as you age, it's important to be good at um, being able to move explosively because mm -hmm. that's something people lose. Uh, and if you think about it too, like let's take the kettlebell swing, you know, it's kind of like the, the archetypical ballistic kettlebell movement. When people think about explosive training with weights, they're usually thinking with barbell, like, you know, cleans mm -hmm. and snatches and things like that. But like, you're not going to get like a, a, 48 year old guy who's been had a desk job, you know, since he was 24, mm -hmm. uh, he's not going to be snatching anything overhead, mm -hmm. at least not more than one rep. And then you're gonna have to, you know, call the ambulance. Right. Or whatever. Um, with kettlebell training, it's much friendlier on the body than barbells are. And I'm saying this as somebody who appreciates, you know, the barbell, mm -hmm. but uh, kettlebell training works with your body and barbells kind of force your body to adapt to the bar itself it's it's very unforgiving so your body has to be better prepared in order to get more out of the barbell mm -hmm. without getting hurt and getting hurt is always a possibility in training right. no matter what but uh but that's the great thing with kettlebells it's like and i've gotten hurt with barbell training i've gotten hurt even with bodyweight training i've never gotten hurt with kettlebells again not because it's impossible but because you can you can really push yourself and the bells are, are much more forgiving and um 
you know, and the big thing again about moving explosive, you think about a guy like this, uh, let's say his daughter wanders into the street to grab yeah. a toy and there's an oncoming car and this guy can't move quickly. Mm-hmm. He can't, you know, burst into, in the, in the, you know, save my daughter mode. Mm-hmm. It's bad news or same thing. Like, you know, he falls in the street, there's yeah. a bus coming by or whatever, and you can't like bounce up and get out of there. Bus can't slow down in time. I mean, these are obviously uh, like extreme examples, but the ability to move explosively and to do so uh, repeatedly and safely, like what you mm-hmm. can with uh, what you can train with a kettlebell, is second to none. Yeah. And you pair that with the fact that as we get older, our, our type two muscle fibers have a tendency to atrophy. This is just something that helps you to hang on to them mm-hmm. and make sure that you might be getting older, but you're not aging the way that all of your friends are who are mm-hmm. doing these bodybuilding you know, routines from the magazines and, and what have you. Yeah. Yeah, that's almost like exactly what I wanted to bring up about the explosivity element is the reason that I would encourage someone to keep that as a part of their program is just, just like you said, like maybe a more um, like realistic example of like, that's something that's not life-saving is think about someone who, you know, is getting older, like my parents age maybe and trips on the stairs. Well, for one person that could be like a torn muscle, but for someone who's been training and, you know, say had some focus on explosivity, they can, they can catch themselves or, you know, someone who trips over the dog, trips over, you know, whatever it is, drop something while moving. These are all things that you can be more prepared for if you've trained explosively versus if you've just done a lot of really slow, low rep bodybuilding type stuff that no doubt will build muscle. It it can lead to, I don't, this is more of a kind of like a pseudoscience term, but like rigidity of the muscles. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's a, that's very valid because one of the things too to consider is that as you get older, your, your muscles start to lose their elasticity, mm-hmm. right? And so you need to be able to move them through a full range of motion. And uh, ideally, you need to be able to be strong in these extended ranges of motion. So if you think about, um, you know, like let's take, for example, a split squat, right? Uh, it's a great way to get the benefit of, like, let's say, stretching the hip flexor because you've got your rear leg out behind you. Uh, but it's all, and it's also going to strengthen you in a position. You can do it repeatedly. And uh, of course you can, you can amend it in any way you need, reduce the range of motion, things like that. But uh, by all means, you know, you need to be able to move through a full range of motion and control it. And the mm-hmm. way to do that is with the, uh, many of the standard issue strength training uh, exercises and, uh, and uh, it, it just takes you so much farther than let's say yoga. Mm-hmm. Right? And I'm, and okay, I was going to say I'm not knocking yoga. I am knocking yoga. I think um, I think that people will get more out of lifting weights mm-hmm. than they will, and lifting weights to a full range of motion, mm-hmm. doing it intelligently, than they will just endlessly prying and prodding themselves. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of yoga, but recently I've been doing um, power yoga, and I do it on basically a um, two to one split of like two days of weightlifting to one day of yoga. Yeah. And th- the biggest thing for me is I realized the importance of stretching apart from your workouts. Yeah. Um, and I just can't force myself to do it. And I also love the mindfulness aspect. So that's one of my big things, but I can see how developing these sort of practices into your daily training routine, if you don't have like a separate time for stretching and stuff like that can be important. Yeah. You know, for me, uh, I've been fortunate to, uh, I, I think I'm just naturally more flexible and mobile. Mm-hmm. I still have to work at it to keep a lot of different things, but not to the extent some people do. And, uh, but I, what I would say for yoga is the, the main issue that I have, it's not like you just should not ever do yoga, but um, if you don't know your body well enough and you're put into a position that may be better left for an advanced mm-hmm. person to do, you can really get jacked up. I mean, there are a lot of like horror it's like stories. discomfort versus pain, you know? Right. Well, I mean, there are a lot of horror stories from yoga that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people have herniated discs, they, you know, mess their necks up and uh, we're not talking short-term things, mm-hmm. obviously. So you have to find a good instructor and somebody who knows how to uh, mold it to what mm-hmm. you need. Um, so, and you know, you're a young dude, you're, and you understand how your body works. Mm-hmm. So for, I don't think you're as at risk. Yeah. But, and that's why, that's why also I feel fortunate to go to like a nice studio with very, um, acclaimed teachers versus just like, I, I'm not knocking a place, you know, just like a typical gym where you might just go and take yoga from a personal trainer, but they don't right. have that same capacity. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yoga has its, uh, has its value, but it's very selective. Like, I mean, it's probably the case with anything. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the same thing with powerlifting. There are a lot of mm-hmm. people who don't know what they're doing. Uh, kettlebell training. God only knows. There, are, there's no shortage of people who have no clue what they're doing, mm-hmm. um, and yet they they teach anyway. So yoga would be the same. But I I think people have a tendency to think yoga is like their their safe way mm-hmm. out. Like this mm-hmm. is I can do some physical activity, 
and it's not going to be too challenging. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is that if it's done right, it will be challenging. But right. it's, if it's beyond your abilities, it's bad news. Mm -hmm. It's more than just checking a box. Kind of like I used to, it's sort of similar. It's like the bodybuilding discussion that we had of like everybody basically in the, in the mid to early 2000s was probably if they were squatting, it was like quarter reps and they were of course trying to curl a hundred pounds and they had their buddy spot them while they, where they benched three plates and were yeah. holding the thing. And it's like, you gotta, anything you do, you have to be careful. And again, just try to be knowledgeable about your body. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the first question I had written down here was like, as someone who I, I definitely come around to understanding different methodologies of fitness, but like in the past and still to some extent, I'm, I'm somewhat dogmatic about, I need my barbell training. I need my strength training and bodybuilding. And what would you say to someone like me who to kind of further explain the power of calisthenics and how to get strong and how they can actually um, be just as effective as, as training with weights? Yeah. Well, what I would point out first and foremost is that it's not an either or proposition. Mm -hmm. And this is something that, um, that people need to get better at understanding is that it's a both and mm -hmm. proposition. So to give you an example, um, the, uh, there's a, a very famous coach named Dan John, who is, I mean, he was, I think he still holds the record in the master's weight pentathlon. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, he was an Olympic lifter. Yeah. And Pat was just telling me he does daily or not daily, uh, weekly, um, weekly chats with him. Yeah. Yeah. And Dan's great. Uh, really smart dude. I've had the, the good fortune of being able to learn from him directly at a mm -hmm. couple of, a uh, couple of seminars he's put on. And one of the things that he talked about in a seminar that unfortunately I did not attend it was off limits to me at the time because I was not a kettlebell instructor. Mm -hmm. This was like 2010. It was like this like high level workshop that he put on with Pavel. And, um, but he's got, it, it's great. I mean, this is the most I've ever spent on the DVD set. It was like 200 and something dollars for like 12 DVDs. But in one of the DVDs, he, he says one of the reasons and I don't remember the rap, I don't remember why he was bringing it up. But he said, I think one of the reasons why so many high school wrestlers go on to bench 400 pounds once they take up barbell training is because of all the push-ups they do yeah. in practice. And uh, at the time I, I didn't quite understand it, but I thought it was, it, it really stuck with me. Now I get it. And there are a couple of reasons why uh, this will help to kind of illuminate the value of calisthenics for, uh, for barbell training. So um, one of the things to consider is that there is something called the law of accommodation, which is basically, the more you do something, the less your body sees it as a stimulus that it needs to adapt to. So, for example, if you are always deadlifting in the same way every single time, eventually you're going to find that your gains are going to get, get slimmer and slimmer and slimmer. If you're only ever using one to five reps, you know, your, your gains are going to get slimmer, slimmer, yeah. and slimmer. So eventually what you have to do is you have to break this, yeah. this accommodation and you have to kind of branch out a little bit and it can be very easy you can change from conventional to sumo that will do something right uh this isn't a great example with a deadlift actually because generally you don't do much more than like mm -hmm. five reps but um so maybe let's use like uh uh squat as an example mm -hmm. instead right so rather than doing back squat maybe you switch to front squat right or maybe instead of doing low bar you switch to high bar Mm -hmm. um, the deadlift example for me, I think is pretty relevant because generally I like to include a deadlift movement, but not always the deadlift. Yeah. So maybe rack pulls or RDLs for a number of months Perfect. as opposed to doing deadlifts. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, the only, the only thing it doesn't really work great with, uh, my original analogy is just the rep range. Cause mm -hmm. it's just not, I mean, you can right. do higher rep deadlifts. It's just not common. Right. Form breaks down pretty quick. Yeah, exactly. Um, just so, reminds me, I just gonna say it reminds yeah. me of like how, I think this is kind of misguided a lot of people, but Arnold always used to talk about shocking the muscle. And then what I tell people is like, okay, where this misguides people is the guy like me who goes in the gym and does 10 different back exercises because he hears a shock the muscle. But what it should mean in application is you might spend a number of months working on your, your barbell row. You might spend a number of months working on your cable row. You might spend a number of months working on your dumbbell row and stuff sure. like that. So I think that that's another fun point that I like to point out to clients and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, ultimately what it comes down to is that there are a couple things that you have to consider. I mean, the exercise variation is one, mm -hmm. um, the volume, the intensity and the density, but there's also uh, rep ranges. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you're mostly training within the three to five rep range and then you bump up to eight to 12, well, all of a sudden, you know, it's like you go back to three to five mm -hmm. and you've got like this, you've got brand new juice that you can, mm -hmm. you can start to, to squeeze all over your workouts. And the, despite that gross visual, it goes a long way in helping you to get a lot stronger. Yeah. So 
Where calisthenics comes into play is that, now again, you can do very effectively low rep calisthenics and build a lot of strength with barbell training, kettlebell training. But let's take a look uh, at what most people view calisthenics as, is like a high rep thing. Let's take a look at the example uh, or, or the, the uh, benefit of that for low rep training. So going back to Dan John's example, you know, why would it be that you would, uh, you would just do loads and loads of pushups over the course of a couple of years? The next thing you know, like, you know, you can, you, like your, your tract of benching 400 is a lot faster mm -hmm. than somebody who, who didn't spend that much time doing high rep calisthenics. Well, one of the things to consider is that high reps, and again, I'll, I'll mention like moderate and lower rep body weight training momentarily, but in terms of higher reps, let's say 20 plus reps in a set, one of the values of that is that you know your tendons and ligaments require a lot of movement to get stronger, mm -hmm. uh, whereas the muscles will get stronger with you know with lower reps and they get stronger more quickly. Uh, they they have a blood uh, blood flow to them, so this blood supply allows them to you know repair yeah. more easily, get rid of waste products, stuff like that. I don't think I've heard that, but it makes a ton of sense. I right that. now, and that's not to say that heavy training doesn't uh, doesn't make your tendons stronger. In fact, one of the best ways to get stronger is really heavy support holds. Like let's say you, you put 100 pounds over what you would normally back squat and you just work mm -hmm. on heavy walkouts, right? Um, or you do uh, partials. This is one of, the, uh, one of the few examples of like uh, partial reps being very mm -hmm. good is you do partials with uh, a really heavy weight. For example, Chuck Sipes was one of the greatest bodybuilders ever. Uh, just like a madman. Like he, I think he was like 198 pounds. He could bench like 600. Wow. Yeah. In a time when the 600 pound bench press was almost unheard of. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, but he used to do something similar to that with his, with his military press and his bench is he would load up to a hundred pounds over his best one rep max. And he would just do like eighth inch. Oh yeah. You know, like uh, eighth reps. Right. That's like, like what those, uh, those planks, you know, they put planks on people. Like West side. Yeah. yeah. Like West side's conjugate is exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so I don't want you to get the idea that you can't get stronger tendons from, you know, from barbell training, mm -hmm. but the high rep stuff helps to really condition them and get them thicker and stronger. And this is important because the connective tissues, if they are weak, you're really only as strong as they are. Mm -hmm. So um, the, it, you're, what you're going to find is with barbell training, you'll get to a point where you can keep pushing, but you're more likely to get tweaked. You're more likely to get injured. Whereas if you include some high rep training in there, it's going to make sure that your body's more well, uh, more well balanced, well developed. And when, it, when using the push-up example, it, it is basically just working on that groove that you're going to need for the bench press. So you're getting really good at this just very basic movement. It's not a huge leap to apply that then mm -hmm. to the bench. So you get the, the benefit of getting really good at the movement pattern. You get the benefit of something that's extremely easy to recover from. Even high rep stuff um, with body weight training does not have anywhere near the impact on your nervous system that barbell training does. Mm -hmm. Barbell training takes a lot out of you, especially as you get older and your recovery capacity starts to uh, starts to decline. It's something to consider. Mm -hmm. Meaning, you might be able to push it a little harder with body weight and kettlebells than you can with the barbell. So you might keep your your top level stuff early in the workout, and then you start to work on these other things to help make sure that you're still building strength. Because mm -hmm. if you keep pushing with the barbell, the barbell always wins, as my right. friend Mark Rifkin likes to say. So uh, the benefit is, and I, I'll give you just a couple of examples too, of people who've used like, like ridiculously high rep calisthenic stuff to get very good at uh, their barbell work. Uh, but the benefit is that it helps to strengthen your ligaments. It helps to strengthen movement patterns. It's very easy to recover from. And most importantly, there's nothing more fundamental in terms of your ability to, uh, to perform in an athletic way than just move yourself through free space. Mm -hmm. you know? So uh, a friend of mine in the Czech Republic had a, uh, a very well-known powerlifter. If I mentioned his name, you would know who he is. Mm -hmm. uh, he had him out there to teach a seminar and he was, he was demonstrating the bench press. He had a hard time getting off the bench, right? Wow. It's just his, uh, and he's a massive guy, mm -hmm. but his strength is like phenomenal with the bar, but just navigating day-to-day -day stuff, walking up and down the stairs. Um, and I don't know if this is still the case, but it was at the time, um, getting up off the bench it was not smooth, easy, whatever. So gravity was something that he still had trouble, you know, mm -hmm. uh, just with very, very basic stuff. And this isn't knocking him. This is just using this as an example because this is very common for, with like, especially the heavyweight powerlifters, right? Not all of them, uh, but a lot of them for sure. Um, 
so yeah, that is something that's uh, that's important to keep in mind. Um, and the and I don't want to I don't want to keep you. Actually, I want you to do the next uh, do the next question. Mm -hmm. I, I can mention some of these other examples of like using high rep as well as low rep calisthenics, like giving you some historical examples uh, that I find. I think you'll find interesting, but, okay. uh, but you keep well, yeah. looking at the paper and now I'm intrigued. I, oh, I no, well, the the, well, I was just kind of thinking about how to, like, I was going to pose these initially as separate questions, but just mm -hmm. basically um, the fact that just bringing up that obviously calisthenics has become more relevant in 2020 because so many yeah. people are having to work out from home. And so my biggest question was just like to get really pragmatic and actionable for a second. What are some of the biggest... Uh, mistakes in calisthenics training and then number two what are some of the easiest ways to progress right okay that's a good very good question some of the biggest mistakes is that i think people see calisthenics as being uh, an alternative mm -hmm. to weightlifting and meaning ah well now i'm in lockdown i'd better i better just do some push-ups mm -hmm. right so they don't really take it seriously and they never really get very good at it um there is uh, with every calisthenics movement, just like with every dumbbell or barbell movement, there's technique mm -hmm. that you have to learn. And I have met a great many people, even people who are like really good coaches, who, who can't do a, a basic push-up well. I mean, they can do push-ups, but the technique is something that just, it, it has, it leaves room for, it has a lot of room for improvement. Mm -hmm. The scary thing is it seems like the average person just does super flared elbows and yeah. kind of limited range of motion. Yeah. The thing that typically people are doing at home is probably not super safe. No, and that's exactly it. I mean, I, I am a fan of wide grip, uh, uh, wide grip pushups, but I do them a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. And again, there's, there's a, a, there's some certain technique to it that I think makes it a little more valuable and it's less likely to bother your shoulders mm -hmm. because yeah, what, like what you're describing elbows way out to the side there's like a subtle unlocking mm -hmm. of the elbows as they descend about an inch or two and then push back up it's like you're not going to build any strength like that so people do that and then they're like yeah you know i did a lot of push-ups and lockdown i just i'm not getting as strong as i did in the gym mm -hmm. it's like whatever you did was probably not something you should call push-up it, it resembled a push-up it doesn't really bear mm -hmm. that much resemblance however so in my mind i would coach someone to try to keep um external rot or excuse me um some sort of internal rotation instead of external rotation is that accurate as far as when even when you're trying to do wide grip well okay actually with wide grip i think it's easier to keep external rotation because what i do is i have my i point Put my fingers out to the okay, side that makes so sense. you know internal rotation of the shoulder would look like this so mm -hmm. if people who are listening if you were to uh take your hand out to the side mm -hmm. like you know you're doing a goal sign let's say for like for soccer mm -hmm. or football that would be external rotation. Your shoulders are moving outward. You can kind of feel your, the muscles surrounding your shoulder mm -hmm. blades kicking on. And then if you were to do the reverse, that would be internal rotation. So for those who are listening, that's what he's referring to. Uh, there is, no matter what, there's going to be internal rotation in a push-up. Uh, there are very few exercises where there's like none. Mm -hmm. The rows would be a good example where it's pretty neutral. But uh, same thing with the pull-up. So, but at, like at the bottom, there's internal rotation mm -hmm. here. On the way up for the pull-up, you want to be externally rotated. And then your trump card at the top is you mm -hmm. got to re-rotate inward. Uh, but the same thing goes with push-ups. What I typically tell people is that they want to get their back involved. And so what they have to do, getting good at like what are called scapular push-ups, they're very good. So they would just hold this push-up plank position. You, you push all the way out, so you're kind of like shortening your chest, and you're going to okay. feel your shoulder blades kind of moving around your ribs, mm -hmm. right? And then you do the reverse. And you're not doing it to an extreme, but you're doing it enough where you can kind of feel them move back into place, and then you, you do it from there. So it's almost like a reverse row. That it lets them do is it allows them to to recruit more muscle, uh, allows them to actually build some strength while doing it, and make sure that they're maintaining control. Because the other thing that I'll often see is that people will they won't let their scapula do anything. So they'll they'll be like this, and then they'll do this. They'll mm -hmm. this kind of internally rotated thing here. For the listeners are not going to see this, but uh, but it's good because it's a horror show. Mm -hmm. I don't want you seeing people doing push-ups like this. Um, so that's, that's number one is that people treat it like an alternative and not like a discipline. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you don't have to put your iron to the side to get, to add this discipline to your training. It, again, it's very low, uh, uh, very low stress on the nervous system. So it's something that you can, you mm -hmm. can absolutely apply. And then the other thing is that they drop it at the first sign or they blame it even at the first sign of, of trouble. So, uh, mentioning Dan John again, he's got a very funny acronym that he calls MAPS, middle-aged pull-up syndrome, <laughs> where guys will try to bang out a bunch of pull-ups mm -hmm. and they do this repeatedly and then their elbows start to kill them, right? Um, there's no reason that your elbows should hurt from doing pull-ups, although it is a very common thing. 
and uh, so people treat it like uh, like they're not going to get hurt doing it or or like it's it is true that it's very natural there's nothing more natural than moving your body through free space it's not true that it doesn't need the same attention to detail that you need with a barbell right you don't mm. need to be as you know as precise about it i think because there's a huge difference between doing a heavy bench press and doing a bunch of push-ups but you still need to be you know to pay attention to what you're doing and not do things absent-mindedly so that's I would say those are the biggest mistakes that people make mm -hmm. is, um, is not taking it very seriously uh, in terms of the technique and the execution. And then uh, just picking it up, only picking it up. They treat it like a booty call because mm -hmm. their exercise <laughs> booty call is, uh, is calisthenics. Yeah. It's like, well, nothing else. I'll do some push-ups. Exactly. It's like the 2 a.m. You up mm -hmm. <laughs> text message. Don't it's, do that to push-ups. It's just not a good idea. It is funny how, like you said, like my mind kind of did go to, you know, initially before this, like being in the camp of calisthenics. I think it's almost kind of a product of like these days, especially with diet, people are so, I'm carnivore, I'm vegan, I'm keto, I'm this or that. Yeah. And it's like, it seems like that what, what gets missed is that I think I have a very healthy and balanced diet because I eat a lot of meat and I eat vegetables and I eat whole grains. And like, I think the, the comparison here is like the, the best way to formulate your training, whether your goal is strength, size, functionality, is you need to, to do some exercises differently and do them in different rep ranges. And I, I, another thing I was going to say earlier is one of the things I like to say most is people go, well, what's the best rep range for gaining muscle? And I think the best answer is the one you haven't done for a while. Yeah. So when you talk about going from that like 10 to 12 to like four to six, you're going to gain some muscle because it's just a new stimulus. Yep, exactly. Yeah, the there's a, a misconception about training that basically there there's one right way. Mm -hmm. And if that were the case, we would have figured it out. Like it's the same thing um, with uh, this might sound somewhat controversial but with people's religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. You know, like well, ever since I you know converted to X Y Z religion, now. I feel so much more peaceful. It's mm -hmm. like, dude, literally everybody in every religion, there's somebody in every religion yeah. that can say that. There are a lot of people in every religion. Mm -hmm. It's like correlation causation. Exactly. And so um, that might be good enough for them, but but it's not good enough, generally speaking. So I'm moving away from the religion standpoint because this is where the analogy kind of ends. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to training, you have to decide, well, first of all, what are your goals? Um, how much can you commit to? Not what, you know, like, how much could you theoretically do? Like mm -hmm. everybody could theoretically work out for an hour every day, mm -hmm. five days a week, but are, can you commit to that? Mm -hmm. And if you can't, you have to be honest with it. What equipment do you have at your disposal, right? How much, uh, um, how much are you willing to, to correct your diet, right? So you don't, some people need to be a little dogmatic about these things. Like if you're a competitive lifter, Okay, I mean, like, you know, one wrong move could be the, all it takes, you know, like, I'm going to try to max in the gym, mm -hmm. and it's like two weeks away from a meet, well, there went your max, you mm -hmm. know, like, now your, your meat's going to suck. Um, or if you have, uh, like, epilepsy, okay, well, ketosis is probably, some, or the keto diet's probably something that you actually mm -hmm. really need. Does everybody else need it? It's pretty debatable, you know. So, yeah, the issue is that uh, people want one answer only and what they really have to do is they have to look within themselves and say what are my goals what can i commit to um you know who can i hire to help me mm -hmm. and go from there yeah and people don't do that very often yeah i know it's like one of the most frustrating things for me when you just look at like the general population is that people go oh you know my my dad or my my coworker or so and so tried keto and they lost 30 pounds so it must be the best way to eat it's like, no, the best way to eat is to cut out a bunch of processed food and eat less calories if you're overweight, which is what the keto diet does. It doesn't yeah. necessarily mean it's the best thing. Yeah. And I think that's true with any sort of weightlifting too. Like people, it's kind of like we've already touched on, people gravitate towards like the hardest thing, the thing that's going to make you most sore and most sweaty. So people go and do CrossFit, which I don't think is generally very good for, you know, like the middle-aged mom or dad who, who tries it out. Yeah. But it's like, they go, oh my God, this is so hard. It has to get me results and they get results. So it's like a, like a confirmation bias. Sure. Well, you know an ACL tear as a result. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, you know, when it comes to CrossFit as an example, like they're, they've done a lot of really great things and they've done them right. But uh, because of its popularity, I think that the drawback is that, like you said, people, people realize that they're going to have to work hard, mm -hmm. which is true. Uh, they realize that it's not always going to be easy. Also true. And they're like, oh, well, look, you know, CrossFit's like never easy. Mm -hmm. uh, it's always really, really hard it's got to be great, but they're not thinking about themselves. This is one of those times when they really should be thinking about themselves. Some people have the foresight to do that. 
say, look, I haven't worked out in a long time. Like I'm not going to be throwing mm-hmm. weight over my head on a barbell and trying to squat deep. You know, um, I lived in, in Israel for four and a half years. And, and for a portion of that time, I worked very briefly at a private studio. The guy who opened it wanted to get a, a CrossFit license, basically due to some, you know, politics in the, uh, in the city, like, not like international politics, mm-hmm. but like CrossFit politics. There was another box owner who was like, no, it's going to, mm-hmm. it's going to cannibalize my, my, uh, uh, my membership. So he wasn't allowed to get one, but he wanted it to be like in that style. And I remember setting up, I had a very, you know, like regimented thing that I had set up. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so then I was teaching a class. He's like, okay, great. Now we're going to throw in like these 12 different things. And it was like, like people doing squat jumps and all these other different things. And I was like, you know, you didn't screen any people here. I told him this afterward. I'm like, you didn't screen anybody. You, nobody signed a waiver. We don't know how they move, what other injuries they have. They could get very seriously hurt. Mm-hmm. But this guy had gone through, I believe he had gone through the CrossFit instruction. And that was never, that never even crossed his mind, right? So there are very good CrossFit instructors, but it's like yoga or anything else. You have to find them to make sure that you're, you're, experience is going to be good right because uh yeah if i look i think that push-ups and pull-ups are great but you can still get hurt doing them if you're mm-hmm. doing them wrong and uh lord only knows that youtube has proven beyond right. a shadow of a doubt that there are a lot of people who are happy to do them wrong mm-hmm. and they are usually instructed to do so uh in a crossfit box. Yeah. not usually often i like i like the other thing you said there though about like what you can commit to because that's almost exactly what i said today um this podcast will out in a few weeks but i released a, a podcast just about new year's goal setting and i and i spent some time talking about the point of you know if you're not working out now try to think about how you can go to two or three workouts a week rather than what most people do okay new year can work out six days a week and then they might do it in january and february hence you know the 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 stereotype that also is true of like how packed gyms become in the mm-hmm. first couple months of the year people do it and then they quit it's like people can get in shape from doing something dogmatic for a month or two. But if you want to be fit for life, which is what, what I'm about, what I'm about with my clients in this podcast, you have to figure out, I, I love how you put it, what you can commit to, because that's different than what's best. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I can give you some examples on, on how that's worked very well for people. Um, so in, in 2015, it was, it was a banner year for teaching abroad. I, I was still living in Israel at this time. And uh, it was like, it was just like, like requests were just poured in all over the place. Like, do you want to teach here? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, why not? So I- Teaching kettlebells? Uh, well, it was actually mostly bodyweight training. Oh, okay. um, I went to, I mean, I was in the Czech Republic. I was in, um, in Italy. I went to, where else? Uh, Australia, uh, the US, which isn't really foreign for most of the people listening. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it was technically a foreign country. Um, and uh, or at least not the country that I was living in. And uh, I had this group of women who initially, when I started training them, I figured, yeah, well, I end up doing kettlebell training. So I'm mm-hmm. going to make it, I'm going to make it clear to them that they need to buy a kettlebell. Well, it became very clear to me within a few weeks that it was just not something that was feasible because mm-hmm. they came in, they had been, most of them had been sedentary for much of their lives. And if they had been physically active, it was like spinning or, you know, walking, you know, stuff that's not terrible exercise, but doesn't really prepare you for a lot of things. Apart from walking, walking is very good. But um, so I would teach these classes to them twice a week. But I was flying abroad so often that it was like every few weeks. It was, I was abroad like eight times that year. Again, abroad relative to Israel, which mm-hmm. is, you know, it's a very small country, so it's not that hard. But they were like, you know, we really need you because, you know, you'll be up, you'll be gone, you know, for two weeks, and then we don't really do anything. So I was like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start a WhatsApp group. And uh, everybody owes me five minutes of movement every day. You could do more, but you owe me the five minutes. And it could be anything. It could mm-hmm. be just laying on the ground. You do some deep breathing. It could be go for a walk. It could be, you know, anything you want. And none of them ever missed a single day because it was only five minutes. And in a few weeks, most of them were doing 10, 15, 20 minutes a day. But if I had started with, I mean, it's very achievable to do mm-hmm. 10 to 20 minutes a day of exercise. But if I had started there, it all would have fallen apart. Mm-hmm. The fact that I started with five minutes was, was all I needed to do. Um, you know, another great example, and this is one that, um, that I think people can maybe conceptualize a little bit more. I have a good friend, Andy, uh, from high school. And a couple of years ago, he was telling me, you know, I was like, oh, my, I don't think he'll mind my sharing this, but um, I saw a doctor, he said, my cholesterol is high. So I need to, you know, I need to, uh, to 
to start working out. I need to work out. I'm going to work out 20 minutes a day. So I was like, are you? Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah. I'm like, are you really? He's like, I mean, I think I could. And I was like, what if you just started with five minutes and you just did five minutes a day? You could do, I mean, think about it. If you do like 10 pushups on the minute for five minutes, you just did 50 pushups. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a fair amount of work, right? And he, and he started to understand, you know, the rationale behind it. And, uh, and he started to do it. I mean, and like next time I saw him, like he was noticeably leaner, mm-hmm. stronger, and he would mix it up. You know, some days he would do squats, some days he would do push ups, some days he would do pull ups, some days, you know, some days he would do a mix of it. And, uh, you know, his life has only gotten more hectic. He just had another kid. Um, his wife right now is battling cancer, and he just doesn't have like 15, 20, 30 minutes to work out, but mm-hmm. he can do the five, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and this is, you know, this is very important because a man man needs to be there for his family, Mm -hmm. but you can't pour from an empty cup. You Mm -hmm. have to, no matter what, keep some sort of an anchor to maintain not just your, your sanity, but also your, your, your dignity. You got to be able Mm -hmm. to physically, uh, take care of yourself because if you get to the point where you're breaking down and you just, you know, you're, you're tweaked, you're injured, um, you're, you know, could be from working out too much, you know, in a, in a circumstance where you just don't have the ability to, mm. you know, to go any further, uh, or you're, you're just becoming lazy and you're not doing anything. Neither of those are good situations, but five minutes a day. And then some days he doesn't, he doesn't do the five minutes, but it's like most days of the week he does. Mm-hmm. Um, low barrier entry. Exactly. But, but the, the yield from it has been tremendous. Like he's, it's, it's worked wonders for him. And, it works wonders for everybody. Uh, like, this is the thing is that it's like, uh, you know, the two examples, he's a young fit guy. Right. And then there are these, these other ladies that I described who are mm-hmm. in, in their fifties uh, and sixties primarily. And, uh, you know, to give you an example, like I said, you know, he, he leaned out got stronger, was noticeably more muscular. Um, the same thing with the ladies. I had one of them text me a couple of years ago, shortly after I had returned to the U S and she said, I've just kept up doing at least five minutes a day. And uh, because of your exercises, I've lost 10 kilos, which is like 22 pounds. Wow. I mean, and she, you know, she didn't eat terribly either, mm-hmm. but um, nothing crazy. There was no spinning an hour, four times a week. It was not, you know, uh, it wasn't anything nuts. Mm-hmm. It was just very reasonable stuff that nobody wants to hear yeah. because they, they think they need to go ham yeah as, yeah. The, as the kids like to yeah. say. Yeah. You reminded me of uh, James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, where he talks about the two minute rule. He's like, when you're developing a habit, it should take less than two minutes. Yeah. One minute of meditation, 10 push-ups. you know, one page of a book. Yeah. Because the more it becomes a part of your personality and your identity, the more that you're going to stick to it. And if it doesn't look like this big, oh man, well, I can't go work out for an hour. I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. But I can go work out for five minutes is a lot more accessible. Yeah. And you know, instinctively people know that it's accessible, but similar to calisthenics, people think, well, it's, but it's probably not that effective. Mm-hmm. And that's where mm-hmm. they're wrong because what's, what's greater zero or five, mm-hmm. like, I had a, I had a student say that to me a couple of years ago. Cause I wrote, I'd written a uh, program for him to do. And I was like, um, so he told me he couldn't do it. He's like, but you know, I, like I didn't do, I think I told him to do five sets of five pull-ups or something like that. He's like, I only was able to really do three sets of three, but you know, I figured three is more than zero. So why not? I was like, thank you. Like, that's the one thing I try to impart upon people mm-hmm. like a little bit. If that's all you can do, it will take you a very long way. Um, he did great. I mean, he started from, from zero pull-ups. He worked up to his max at the time. It was like 11. Pretty good. Yeah, it was very good. Um, to say nothing of his, of mm-hmm. his instructor, who was also very clearly <laughs> good. He's very handsome mm-hmm. as well, I would point out. Of course. Yes. Uh, but, but yeah, it's an example of somebody who really gets it. And so if people, uh, I mean, you, anybody who's listening can, can do an experiment right now uh, or at the end of the episode. Uh, <laughs> just do like 10 push-ups on the minute just set a timer to beep every minute do 10 push-ups every minute just do it for five minutes the fifth round you can be done and if you're not covered in sweat if you're not feeling a pump in mm-hmm. the pecs and triceps and shoulders um you know then crank it up to 20 mm-hmm. let's do mm-hmm. that 20 on the minute yeah so um back to like the whole progression aspect how do you look at progression as far as calisthenics because i know like you've mentioned pull-ups a handful of times and what i think of is like well, I just feel like the vast majority of people would have to start out with something besides a pull-up to start to build that strength right. because most people don't have that strength. And then the other thing that comes to mind is for me, like I consider myself very strong and muscular and fit. And so, you know, I've thought about before, oh, okay, well, like what's a feat of strength? 
a one arm push up. Well, I've been working out for so long that has to be something I have in my in my repertoire. And it's just like not even close. So it's yeah. just like building certain progressions of strength is not as I guess straightforward as it might seem. Right. Well, that's uh, that's very true. And I, I think the first thing that people need to think about because people, this is especially true in the world of calisthenics. People obsess over progressions, mm -hmm. and what they really need to be focusing on is prerequisites first and foremost. Because you're absolutely right. If you're if somebody can do zero pull-ups. Uh, they may be varying degrees of zero, meaning like they may barely be able to hold on to a pull-up bar mm -hmm. more than 10 seconds. Um, they may be able to hold a flexed arm hang, right? So the person who can hold a flexed arm hang uh, can probably hold on to the pull-up bar at the bottom in the dead hang position mm -hmm. uh, longer than the person who can't hold a dead hang. Probably. It is not a guarantee, but it's, it's very probable. Um, so the, the path is not always the one that seems the straightest. As a matter of fact, it's often the it's often the, the work done behind the scenes that's that's going to get you there. So I'm a big fan of bodyweight rows, for example. Uh, I do a lot of them, even though I can do pull-ups with no problem. You know, even weighted pull-ups. Mm -hmm. I still think bodyweight rows are the bee's knees. The reason why is because you know we get a lot of internal rotation in our shoulders for a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. And as you get older, for a variety of uninteresting reasons, you're just going to get pulled into that position right. anyway, unless you're very careful meaning kind of this hunched over position and, and what have you. So the pull-ups are always going to be great. I'm always going to enjoy them a lot, but rows are where you want to start out because it's more accessible. It's less technical and it can be, it can be uh, uh, scaled a lot more easily. Like you just have a little bit less lean. If the person's still learning it, they're a little bit weak. They're getting very strong. You just increased the amount of lean. Mm -hmm. So the name of the game for progression in calisthenics is first and foremost leverage. So you have to be able to change the lever. It's not the only way, but it's, it's the primary way to actually work on increasing the intensity of an exercise is not done by adding weight. It can be, obviously there, there are certain examples of that, but, but first and foremost, it's, it's through leverage. Mm -hmm. So if we take the row example, you can use the push-up example because maybe people yeah. aren't as familiar with rows. Um, if you're just starting out with push-ups, do them on the edge of your counter. Right? with good form, but do them on the edge of your counter. When that gets easy, maybe you move it down to like uh, your, your kitchen table, which is a little bit lower. Mm -hmm. And then when that gets a little easy, maybe you do it on uh, the coffee table. Right. So it's kind of like a pull gets harder the more vertical it is, and a push-up gets harder the more horizontal it is. Exactly. More or less. Exactly. It's like an inverse relationship. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you get to the point where you elevate your feet onto something and you can continue to get stronger like that, right? Mm -hmm. So what we're manipulating here is leverage. So with body weight training, because you're basically, you're fighting gravity, you have to be able to uh, use gravity to, uh, to your advantage. And, and this is the way. So the way that you do that is you start off with something that is challenging, but allows you to be successful, right? And then from there, you move on to making it a little bit more challenging. Your body is going to adapt. Now, again, it gets to the point where, you know, uh, you can only do so many push-ups on the countertop before you have to add so much more volume or so many more repetitions yeah. uh, in order to continue to get get some benefit from it. So you go a little bit go a little bit lower, and then from there, these are again I would say push-ups and rows would be like let's say prerequisites to stuff like dips and chin-ups. Mm -hmm. So once you've done that, then you can start working on progressions to to get these completely different exercises, exercises that are let's say like the cousins of push-ups and rows, mm -hmm. right? Chin-ups and dips. And you repeat from there. But in this case, yeah, you'll, you'll need to have some sort of a progression sequence that will um, honor the, that leverage. It, it, meaning like, for example, like with, with the dips, you might, have, uh, you might have the dip bars a little bit low so that you can use your feet at the difficult part mm -hmm. and kind of push yourself out of it. Um, with chin-ups, I think the best way to start off is just dead hang and then you do a slow lower and partner assisted. Rubber bands are a useless waste of time. Do not bother with them. But partner assisted was very, very good. Uh, if you've got a, a, a trainer, if they push into your low back as mm -hmm. you as you try to you know pull the bar down toward your chest, it's a way of reducing the the total amount of weight that you have to move because it's putting some of that into the hand. What is the, the problem trainer. with bands? They they help you where you don't need it, and they don't help you where you do need it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people you'll and you, you go into any gym and you'll see this. People can. Pull, a lot of times they can pull themselves up to the halfway mm -hmm. mark and they can't get any farther, right? So the top half is the hard part. 
that's where people might need a little extra help. They may not need that much help at the bottom, but the rubber band is that it's, it's right. most stretched at the bottom. So the, the position where you can actually build some strength is uh, basically going unutilized because you're getting like a huge boost when you may need a very slight one, if mm -hmm. any at all. And then in the top half, which is where people struggle the most, pull, you know, it's, it's not really doing much of anything for them. Um, that's why, I mean, there are variations of pull-ups that you can do where you would use your feet to just kind of assist you at mm -hmm. the bottom or, you know, through the top half. A uh, little bit difficult to describe in a podcast, but, but yeah, I, I think uh, rubber band pull-ups are, uh, are primarily a waste of time. It's okay. not to say that nobody's ever used them successfully, but most people, it's just not going to do them any good. Okay. Well, as our hour about winds up here, why don't you, to end it, um, I'd like you to give like um, a, a guide for someone who would like to get in back in kind of, you know, like back into working out back into shape, maybe it doesn't have a gym, um, doing some calisthenics and someone who more like me would just kind of like to implement into a routine that they already have. Right. Okay. So for somebody who, uh, for whatever reason, doesn't have regular access to a gym, what I would recommend is that you learn, uh, put it this way. You want to learn the, the fundamentals, but there are probably certain things that you want to focus on more than others. For example, I would, I would say pulling exercises and uh, movements for the posterior chain or the back of your body are going to, are going to do you a lot more good than those for the front. Right. So don't think I'm just going to do a bunch of squats and sit-ups and push-ups because you're going to end up looking like Quasimodo, mm -hmm. right? So uh, invest in some gymnastics rings. They're not expensive. Get a wall-mounted uh, pull-up bar or like a, a door jam pull-up bar and uh, very carefully set that up so that you can, you can learn how to do some rows. On the edge of your couch, learn how to do hip thrusts so that you can strengthen the glutes, mm -hmm. uh, work on strengthening the hamstrings a little bit. And um, of course, push-ups and, and lunges and squats are gonna be good options too. But if you have to go really hard into anything, I would go harder into those two things yeah. because they're gonna help reverse your office posture, mm -hmm. uh, help you rejuvenate your body as opposed to continue to yeah. break it down. That's such a core tenet of training for me that I always try to talk with clients about too. That's, that's just key, so key for anyone because we spend our lives mostly at our desk, yeah. at our, you know, driving the car, whatever it is. Exactly. And then for the more advanced athlete, let's say what I would do is really something similar is I would start, uh, I would trade it like with back offsets. So for example, let's say you're doing a bench squat deadlift program, right? When you're finished, just do one all-out set of pu uh, push-ups, one all-out set of rows, and then uh, let's say an all-out set of walking lunges, right? It doesn't have to be all done in one day. Let's say you have upper body and lower body mm -hmm. days, just appropriate, make it appropriate for that. But this is a good way that you can start getting in. Uh, we didn't talk much about stuff like pistol squats and one-on-one -on -one, like push-ups. That may be good for a future podcast and like advanced mm -hmm. calisthenics training. Um, but even using the movements that are, are let's say, low technique but high yield, like high rep push-ups, high rep rows. Um, I like leg raises for the core, and then let's say uh, hip thrusts or uh, well, not or hip thrusts and like let's say walking lunges. You toss in a set or two of like 20 to 25 at the end of your workouts, and that's going to help you to get in a little bit of extra volume and mm -hmm. do so without annihilating your nervous system. And it's also going to help you to work on getting your tendons and your ligaments stronger. Okay. So this is, and it doesn't take a, a lot of, it takes just a little bit of familiarity with the movement and uh, meaning like stuff you can learn within a few minutes mm -hmm. in terms of getting the, uh, getting the technique looking really good. And, uh, switch up the switch up the, the variations a little bit each time so let's say change your hand position for the rows and the push-ups maybe go backwards sometimes for the you know for the lunges um things of that nature it's going to go a long way and uh you're going to like the way you look too mm -hmm. it's, it's going to give you a good like solid physique cool all right alex well where can people find you if they want to learn more about you so i would say i am active on social media but far and away my email list is where all my best and brightest information goes out like the top shelf tequila that you okay. only bring out when the company comes over if you're on my email list you're getting the top shelf tequila basically it's quite a sale right there absolutely and you don't have to it's a free email list um you don't have to uh you don't have to pay to get on it um the way to do it is if you go to my website alexsalkin.com now keep in mind my name is spelled funny it's a russian spelling so it's a-l-e-k-s not a-l-a-x a-l-e-k-s last name is salkin S-A-L-K-I-N, alexalkin.com. 
uh, there is a way, there's going to be a page that pops up right off the bat. It will, uh, at least at the time of this recording, it is to my 99 kettlebell and bodyweight workouts ebook. Um, if you put in your name and your email address and uh, you click accept or whatever it says on the button, I don't really remember, uh, it'll get you on my email list and it'll also get, get you 99 of my best and brightest kettlebell and bodyweight workouts. Cool. All right. Well, we'll wrap it there. Thank you so much for doing this with me in person. It was fun. Yeah. Thank you for having me. All right. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. If you would, please take a minute out of your day to review and rate the podcast as well as subscribe. It would really help me out a lot. And if you're on Instagram, go ahead and follow me on there at jakeparker.fit and screenshot and tag me when you're listening to the show. I'll be sure to share it. And thank you personally on there.